laptop. Acknowledge me, please. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Stir Fried Let It Fly podcast, uh, where we talk NBA. James here with Will and Cyrus. We're currently recording from an undisclosed location in the greater Vancouver area. Now, before I pass it on, remember to follow us on at StirFryPod on Twitter and Instagram. Cyrus? Hi, this is Cyrus. Uh, Spurs diehawk since 97. The Rosen hater. And this is Will. Uh, I hate Russell Westbrook uh, because he suck. And this episode of StirFry Let It Fly is brought to you by... Haiti Giselle Skincare and their all-natural caviar collection. Be naturally beautiful. Okay, so today we are going to talk about the tragic news that fell on a Sunday, January 27th, which was basically the passing of Kobe Bryant. Uh, so what happened was it was a helicopter crash uh, where Kobe uh, and his daughter Gigi were involved along with seven other passengers. Um, and tragically, they uh, died in that crash. Uh, there were no survivors. It was kind of like in the early noon-ish period of the day. Um, and this event basically sent shockwaves not just through uh, the NBA world, but also kind of the world in general. Uh, so let's start with just general reactions. Uh, what was going on for you? Um, and how did you take the news when it first happened, Cyrus? So on that day, I believe it was a Sunday. So that day, I supposed to work at, uh, I have an appointment at 1.30. So uh, before I left my place, one of my friends sent me a text message. And he talked about, he sent, he told me, okay, Kobe died in a helicopter crash. And he asked, he asked me if that is real or not. Oh, he asked me if oh, it's real or not. So uh, at that point, I, I really don't, don't feel anything yet because I thought it was a joke. But uh, once I get into my car, I put my phone uh, beside my, my, my car seat and all in a sudden when I drive to Richmond, uh, my phone keep on vibrating and I had a feeling that some, a lot of my friends are texting me right now. So, uh, until while I arrived my office, so I finally like confirmed that Kobe really passed away. So to be honest, I, at that point, I don't, um, I can't, I can I can barely focus on my on my appointment and because it's it's too unreal to me because uh, Kobe is one of our you know eighties babies generation player yeah so I really sure. can accept that. What about you, Will? I remember I was in Asia in Hong Kong in my hotel at the, at the time, and uh, I got a message from actually you, and uh, you said uh, this isn't a joke, uh, Kobe was uh, involved in a helicopter crash and he passed away along with his sister and um, I think I believe seven other passengers so obviously uh, given myself I would do a fat check and make sure that it's for real and in fact that obviously it it, it was for real and uh, I, I was in shell shock even even though I wasn't a Kobe fan growing up because I'm a diehard uh, Jordan fan and the fact that he was emulating Jordan steps, uh, plays, uh, even like, you know, facial expression, um, it, it, it still brought sadness to, to, to my world. 
um, you know, when I was putting everything into perspective, I understand that, you know, a, a player like that, it's really hard to come by. Um, a player who is as good as Jordan and, um, you know, with his work ethic and even after he retired, that's when I think that I really appreciate him more because there is not a player similar to that in our current NBA. Yeah, I think so for me, I remember taking a nap or trying to take a nap and then my phone was going off and it was just one message after another of Kobe question mark or did you hear or did you read? And I remember thinking, what, what kind of fake news is this, right? And looking it up online and seeing that it was an article from TMZ. And I'm like, okay, come on. Like, how much can we actually believe this, right? But then, like, you see all these other, like, reputable news sources come up, like CNN, um, and it's all over Twitter. And you're just like, oh, man, like, this stuff is real, man. Like, like I can't believe this is actually happening, and, you know, you read about it, you kind of follow the reactions of all the NBA players. Like, you've got guys like PG who had just, like, worked with Kobe in his camp this past summer were just, like, reeling and reacting in real time about how they were still in such disbelief. I think that sentiment of, like, this can't be true, like, that's probably what it was for, like, me and for everybody else, right? You know what makes it so unreal uh, is, you know, the, um, on the, uh, yes, uh, the night before Kobe passed away, LeBron just passed his uh, total point in history. He actually, like, wired a Twitter to congratulate LeBron. He did? So, so I, I think, like, 12 hours after and he's gone, like, it, it's just surreal. Yeah. And I think part of the tragedy of it is going too soon, right? Because, I mean... Every, we all know, like, even NBA players who get up there, like, there's not as big of a reaction when maybe somebody who is Bill Russell's age or Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's age, they, uh, they end up passing. But because Kobe was so young, he just retired, like, in the last five years, right? Right, yep. That it's just like, man, like, this guy was so enmeshed in not just Lakers culture, but kind of the broader basketball culture. Right. And in whatever way, you know, you he's a character who you either really love or really hate. And, you know, he's really he draws that emotion out of you. And I think that's the power of Kobe. Yeah. When I was young, I really hate Kobe because I'm diehard Spurs. Right. He always beat my Spurs. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing. Like, I think at this point, it should be said that Kobe was not perfect. Like, he did have the um, assault allegations that were going on in Denver during that one year where they had, the Lakers had the big four. Uh, they ended up losing to the Pistons that year. Um, and it was just one big mess with, uh, uh, you know, the assault, the infidelity, etc. cetera. Um, and I do think it's possible to have all these different feelings uh, for the same person, right? Like, you can celebrate and feel really nostalgic and glad about everything that Kobe's done for the NBA and for basketball. But you can also kind of think that he wasn't a good character in some of these other things he did. But I, I, I think that's sort of the package that is Kobe, right? Part of him that made him so, I think, such a powerful figure is that he's got this whole redemption arc. Like he is very much like coming back from that year after they lost to the Pistons 
where they were clearly the favorites. They had Shaq, Kobe, Peyton, Malone, right? And it was just like everybody was thinking they were going to win, and they lost that year. Then they lost Shaq afterwards, and it was just Kobe. Like, he basically reinvented, like, the rest of his career to not just be one of the best NBA players, but also, like, a great mentor to a lot of the younger generation. And I think that's fantastic. And I think the tragic part of um, the whole situation is, you know, he was just showing other players that you can't have a life after the league. And he was winning Oscar. He was doing children's book. And he has many other projects on the go. Because based on my um, experience with uh, retired players, a lot of them go bankrupt. They don't know how to manage money or their entourage are spending all their money. He was the perfect example of you can be successful as a player and as an entrepreneur right after the fact. So the tragic, the tragic, the tragedy that um, we endure is that you know we don't get to see what he can do after his basketball life. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and Gianna too. Like his daughter was supposed to be like super promising, had a lot of like his same moves was supposed to go to UConn and maybe even the WNBA, right? And now the world is also like mourning her loss. And, you know, it's just one of those things where going forward, a a lot of different NBA events are going to start to honor them. Like if we think about what the games were already doing, they were doing things like the um, eight second violation, backward violation, the 24 second Mm -hmm. shot clock violation. And for our listeners out there, those eight and 24 were Kobe's numbers. So Will and James, so which was which is the most mem- uh, memorable scene of Kobe that in in your opinion or in yeah yeah oh man I I know so I actually started watching the NBA right around the Kobe Shaq days yep. it was their heyday and there were so many good memories there but the one that really sticks out for me was when uh, it was just Kobe on the Lakers I think he had he didn't. Maybe he had Pow then. They were playing the Phoenix Suns, and he was going nuts. He hit the game winner. He was beating Grant Hill and scoring on basically every basket. I think that is 2010. Payout. Yeah, and that was just like he was buckets every time, and you could see it in his swagger, and you could really appreciate like he, you know, he worked so hard to get to that point. And for me, I think is. Um a lot of uh, heartbreaking moments, especially uh, when Ori hit the three at the top of the three-point shot. And of, and, and also, I think they were down 15 or 20 points versus Sacramento Kings. Yes. And I think the perfect moment that I can remember was the alley-oop that uh, Kobe threw to uh, Shaq that pretty much tied the game. Oh, it's already passed, passed Portland already. Yeah, so, I mean, at that point, you know... Watching Portland being the anti-Kobe supporter, I think the game was over, and um, it is what it is at that point. So for me, uh, I said already, I am a huge Spurs fan, so I hated Kobe back when he was young because they really beat my Spurs, so without Lakers, my Spurs can actually maybe win a couple more times. But uh, things start changing after, I remember, 2006, uh, when Kobe singly almost beat Phoenix Sun in that series. Uh, in game four, I believe, uh, that clutch shot that he made from the free throw line, I start to, en- 
start to change myself to like him more. And uh, when he beat Boston, mm-hmm. uh, when he um, do all those things in All Star Game, so to me, honestly, I watch him more than Michael Jordan. Right? Yeah, and I think so much of it, like you're saying, Cyrus, is the timing of it all. Like we grew up, I think more of our prime basketball years are just Kobe, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, Michael Jordan was there, but he was kind of tailing off a little bit, mm-hmm. right? And more also, like, I, it's what Kobe stood for, this whole Mamba mentality that he's, yeah. he's, like, all about, this cutthroat thing where, like, you hear about, like, players like Jason Tatum going to train with Kobe, and granted, it was a terrible year for Jason Tatum right after, where he was taking these really bad mid-range shots, but the idea behind the Mamba mentality is basically like, screw everyone else. I'm really good, and I'm going to recklessly, just like fully confidently, just take these shots, right? And you guys remember, like, actually, it's Kobe starting to shoot all those logo free, remember? Yeah. Yeah. Well, he, had, he also <laughs> had that comment. I think he was like, people were asking him why he took so many shots, and he was like, what do you expect me to do? Pass to Smush Parker? And it's like, no, well, I guess that makes sense because he was taking like a lot of shots off of double teams and he was taking way too many buckets. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, guys, why don't we talk a little bit about the NBA trade deadline? Um, so there are a couple of big trades that I just want to highlight. Um, there's the trade that sent off Clint Capella from the Houston Rockets over to the Atlanta Hawks. Um, Minnesota and Denver were also involved in that trade. And so what the Houston Rockets got back was Robert Covington. Uh, They also got back another piece that they ended up trading out. That was Jordan Bell. Um, And then Minnesota got uh, Malik Beasley and then Juancho Hernan Gomez. um, And then Denver got some draft picks. Uh, So what are your takes? Um, Let me talk about the Capella trade to uh, Atlanta first. Uh, I don't understand why Atlanta won Capella. Would Capella make Atlanta a lot better I don't see it yeah I think their spacing is going to be really weird because like think about John Collins who is kind of playing the 4-5 right now and he doesn't exactly have a three-point shot so the spacing is going to be really cramped up inside and we know that Capella has since you know he started been more of like an interior lob threat kind of guy yep it's going to be rocky so for me, I think all four teams kind of benefited from the trade. First of all, um, Rocket got the guy that they want with Rocco, and uh, Denver got the picks that they want because they weren't gonna resign the the two players. Who who were the two players again? Uh, Beasley and Juancho Hernan Gomez. And I believe they are both restricted free agent, and they don't have the money to resign them, nor they want to resign them. And Atlanta were always. Um, they were chasing a rim runner, tall, toyish player, either Drummond or Capella. So I don't know why they are they were doing it, but then they were doing it the whole time. And obviously Minnesota were able to get Beasley and um, yeah, and Hernan Gomez. And I think that they are a good fit for them, and and they also have the men- money to resign them if they end up playing well for them. Yeah, so like while we're talking about Minnesota, they made another trade. 
they gave away Andre or on Andrew Wiggins, and Canadian get, Andrew Wiggins, and they got and get Russell. That's right. They got Cat's uh, best friend, D'Angelo Russell. Russell. So does that trade make either team better? I'm happy for Andrew Wiggins okay. because I do believe uh, Golden State is a uh, is a school for him, like to learn how to play real basketball and actually. Uh, learn from Draymond Green, get yelled by Draymond Green, like to make him improve, make him grow up. Yeah. I don't actually agree with that just because, you know, he had Jamie Butler and it didn't work and then Jamie Butler left. So, I mean, you can you can say all you want about, oh, I think a new scenario, new, new scenery is good for him. But, you know, with his price tag, with his first round first pick, how much excuse are you going to give the, the guy? And the fact that Minnesota has been chasing J-Lo for the longest time, what's the rush of trading J-Lo to Minnesota? D-Lo? Oh, D-Lo, yeah. (laughs) 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 I mean, I'm sure they're chasing J-Lo too. (laughs) So so D-Lo, (laughs) D-Lo. But but for Minnesota, I think they did well. Uh, They got the player they wanted. They want a point guard. They want uh, Cat to be happy. And they were able to get uh, D'Lo and a point guard, and more more importantly, they 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 were able to give up Wiggins for uh, I wouldn't say a, a small price, but you know it is what it is. So so here's my take. Like I don't think that Wiggins. So I don't think I know everybody's talking about the, how the culture of Golden State can make Wiggins better. I don't think that's it. Like if. If you're Wiggins, how you want to think about this is you're going to be better because it's a reduced role. There's less expectations, right? So he was the first overall pick. So what? Throw it out the window, right? There's less of what he should be doing, right? He just basically is like a glorified 3 and D occasional slasher kind of player because the ball primarily is with Steph, Clay, Draymond, right? And all he needs to be is... uh better version of Harrison Barnes. That's right. Or even just Harrison Barnes. And I don't know, like, with this, the the way the league is right now, how that particular team is going to do. But certainly from Andrew Wiggins' standpoint, like, he's going to win more because he's got less responsibilities. I don't actually agree with that either. Um, just look at Dwight Howard when he joined the Lakers. At his age, with his price tag, you know, Dwight at 34 is just learning how to be a role player. And you're asking a player at his prime, 25, 26, uh, with his history to be a role player, you know, it's e- I, I, I believe it's easier said than done. So I think that's interesting because think about Wiggins' personality. He's never really been the alpha dog type, nor has he, like, he wanted that max contract. So he's getting paid regardless, right? Mm-hmm. But he's never been like Dwight in the sense that Dwight was always, like, thinking he was the best player. I don't think Wiggins ever really thought he was the best player, nor did he necessarily want to be. I mean, the issue is you don't want to be the best player, but can you step back and be the third fiddle? Yeah. And I I don't know. Like when Butler was on the Wolves, he was kind of number three, right? Because ultimately, like Jimmy had the ball in crunch time. Then it was Towns. But statistically, I think during that year, Wiggins still took the most shots. Yeah, maybe. But I guess we'll see. We will see. But it's one of those things where we have to wait to next year to really see once the full squad comes back. But uh, on that trade, I think it's a a 
good solution for both Minnesota and Golden State because uh, if Wiggins did pay well, like he's still young, he can be Golden State's franchise player. Who knows? Yeah, and I mean, the Wolves needed to do something to try and show Towns they were serious and they were going to try and keep him, right? And and yeah. if Wiggins is your franchise player, you're in trouble. Who yeah. knows? Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so one last big name traded, uh, Andre Drummond, to the Cleveland Cavaliers uh, from the Detroit Pistons. So basically, Cleveland acquires two-time All-Star Andre Drummond um, in exchange for forward John Henson, uh, guard Brandon Knight, and the less favorable of its two second-round draft picks in 2023. Um, so what do you guys think? I think this is one of the worst trade for Cavalier. Um, number one, they have some expiring contract. Not that any big free agent was going to sign for them this year, especially there's no big names. But the fact that, you know, there are already two disgruntled player, namely Love and... Tristan Thompson. Tristan Thompson, who are not happy with the situation and Drummond being quote-unquote very loyal to Detroit and he was traded to not a contender but Cleveland Cavalier what exactly is is that going to set an example for the locker room when they were trying to develop a good culture with Sexton and Garland well you say this is a bad trade is it because that might hurt your boy Kevin Love's statistic no I, I don't think so I think Kevin Love is going to be I don't think that he's going to be hurt by the situation um I think teams that want him will still want him. Teams that doesn't want him will not want him regardless of this trade. I think th- this is such a dumb trade if you're Cleveland, right? Like, I don't know what you're doing. Do you, like, if you're Cleveland, do you seriously think that, like, having the, like, you're going to win games because you're such a great offensive rebounding team? Because that's the only thing you got upgraded as a result of this, right? Like, across the board, you took on more salary, right? Um, you run the risk of Drummond not even coming back mm-hmm. over the summer if he doesn't re-up, right? But do you even want him to be And that's the thing. Like, so, I don't know. Like, this is a head-scratcher. And the thing is, uh, Tristan Thompson actually played really well this year. Yeah. yeah. Do you really need another rebounder for the team? I don't really see it. And I think, like, this is a good trade for Detroit because <laughs> I don't think that they saw a really, fu- really a future with Drummond. Like, it's one of those things where, you know, Drummond is going to get a lot of money just because he's a name, and, you know, some teams are just going to have that money. And Detroit probably decided that they weren't willing to pay that money. So they just got something for him. And I I think they just don't want to take a chance that Drummond is going to take the option. Yeah, I agree. So I think Detroit is on a full-time rebuild. Once Blake Griffin comes back, whenever he does, I think that they're going to salary dump him as well. Yeah, I'm surprised that they didn't also try and get rid of guys like Reggie Jackson. They're trying. I see they're trying to get rid of Reggie Jackson. Yeah. I saw a rumor that Lakers might want Reggie Jackson at that, at that time. But yeah, the I don't Lakers know. want a lot of guys. So, sure. anyways. Okay. But uh, for the trade, i actually surprised one team hasn't done, any, hasn't done any, anything. It's Boston Celtic. Yeah, but Boston Celtics is just doing what Boston Celtics does. They talk, they don't do anything. Yeah. Because all this team need right now is another big guy. Because I expect Capella or someone will, you know, get traded to Boston. That's what I expected. 
Yeah, I mean, they needed a big guy, but at the same time, like, if you're Boston, like, you're actually doing pretty well, and in some ways, you're kind of overperforming, right? Like, the Celtics... I, I don't think so. You, like, did you think that the Celtics were, like, a top... I guess they were kind of a top four team in the league. It's more like years. additional by subtraction, right? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, it's the Kyrie effect. But still, like, I think the Boston Celtics are in a pretty good spot where what they want to do right now is really focus on developing Tatum and Brown um, and then see what other assets they can get because they are solid at the point guard position with Kemba. They've still got Gordon Hayward, right? They're playing actually small ball just like the Houston Rockets because their tallest guy, while not as short as the Houston Rockets, mm -hmm. is actually Tice at 6'8". How about Kenter? Yeah, he's off the bench, though. So, like, their starting five is Tice. Mm. So that's not that tall. And yet, they're still doing pretty well. Hey, James, talk about the, uh, your boy, Russell Westbrook. Oh, Who's man. <laughs> Russ has been on a tear lately, um, especially since, you know, they've been playing without a center for the past little bit. Uh, even before the trade, Capella wasn't playing. He was injured. And so the way they were functionally having the Rockets go at it was Russ who is 6'3", maybe 6'4", uh, basically functioning as a center in that not only was he going for the boards, but he was taking all the in-paint shots. Um, and then you have your shooters at the outside. And this is probably the best version of Russell Westbrook that we have ever seen. Probably even better than like Oklahoma OKC MVP season because this is the Russ who is actually taking good shots. Like, you want him to take those in-the-paint shots, minimize no three-pointers or minimal three-pointers, and minimize the mid-range pull-ups. And he's like, I watched that Lakers-Rockets game right after uh, the Rocco trade was done. And you could see, like, Russ had this swag where he was taking even Anthony Davis all the way down and inside, and he was I, scoring on him. I remember he... Score 41 point at He had game. some ridiculous number. So, like, Russ is playing well. But for sure, we would say that he sucks too, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, the only reason why I say he sucks is because he sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it, and here I thought it was because he was taking bad shots, but I guess that's not it. <laughs> that's not it. Because he's taking good shots now. These are the shots you want him to take. Yeah, I mean, pick your poison, right? Yeah. You want him to take a bad shot in the paint or outside the paint, right? But it's it, still going to be a bad shot. It's a really interesting strategy what teams are doing to Houston, right? So they're basically doubling t uh, James Harden right after he crosses the half court, uh -huh. which means that it's a four on three with two guys on Harden. And so Harden is out of the picture and those two guys are out of the picture. It's usually doubling off of Russ's guy. Okay. So Russ gets the ball and he drives right. inside and it's either a drive and a finish or a drive and a kick. So who is it actually center, Tucker or, or Rocco? So they are playing Tucker at center, okay. like in the sense that he's guarding guys like Jokic and Gobert. Um, but if you think about it, Tucker and Rocco are kind of interchangeable because of wingspan. They both have about seven feet wingspan. But strength-wise, I think Tucker is obviously better than Rocco. That's true. Okay. I think at the end of the day, though, they can all pull them out and create that space, which is what Houston thrives on. So can Houston pass the first round? Yeah, I think they can pass the first round. I don't know if they can make it beyond the second round, though. I think they might have a difficulty passing the first round if they finish bottom half. So they are fifth. fifth. So they would be playing either Utah, Denver, or Clippers. Yeah, I think they can beat Utah. I don't. They can't beat the Clippers, I don't think, but... 
but Denver, they, eh, I don't know. It could go they, way. they can beat Lakers on that night. Yeah, but I think you got once teams in the playoffs have the time in between games to adjust to you. Like I think the whole small ball thing is just going to be a little bit of a novelty, okay. right? Like it's going to be they're going to have schemes for that. Mm. Yeah. Um, okay. So why don't we call it there for now? Um, thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, please subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you get your pods. Uh, catch you on the next one. See ya. See ya. Penetrate hard. Good passes. Shoot with confidence. I want some nasty. <laughs>